0: Welcome back to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I am Jacob and I am a Christian. And we are nearing the end of one of our late night recording sessions. Jacob, um, are you? How does this feel compared to our like mid afternoon recording sessions?
1: It's actually, it's quite enjoyable and it's fine. I just feel like the quality of jokes is suffering, but I would probably say that anyway. And you would say that life is suffering. So you're just, you're, I'm learning to become unattached by listening to your jokes. Is that the, I,
0: I think that's is that the goal? I, I think, I think so they have this concept in Buddhism where you can get spontaneous enlightenment, where like there's a bunch <laughs> so of people. So if the joke is that bad. Yeah, there's a bunch of people in Buddhism that um the Buddha <laughs> said like the exact right phrase to them and they became immediately enlightened. I'm hoping that one day... I will say the exact right joke and you will become spontaneously enlightened. <sighs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, so today we are embarking on the second part uh, of our discussion on Buddhism and love and relationships. Um, so in the first part of this discussion, we spoke about um, Susan Piver and her article slash book, The Four Noble Truths of Love. Um here she articulated uh, the Buddhist four noble truths and kind of recut them to be about relationships and about love and and how uh, you know how we can understand relationships and love through a Buddhist lens. Um, very brief summary: those truths were number one, the that relationships are uncomfortable, uh, which is similar to that life is uh, life is suffering or life has suffering in it. Uh, number two trying to make relationships comfortable is what makes them uncomfortable which goes to the causes uh, of suffering and uh, number three meeting the discomfort together is love which goes to the cessation of suffering and the the ways that that can happen uh, and this week we're going to talk about number four which is the the way out the the path out of this discomfort. Uh, discomfort in relationships, and that is the Eightfold Noble Path. Um, have you heard of the Eightfold Noble Path before, Jacob? I have, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Okay, well, um, how, many, how, many, how many steps how many steps are on the Eightfold Noble Path?
1: I'm going to go out on a limb
0: and say 7.94. Uh, well, if you're rounded, you'd be correct. <laughs> um, uh, yes, the Eightfold Noble Path is one of, it's one of Buddhism's... Um, Uh, many numbered lists for how to live life. Listicles. Uh, The listicles of Buddhism. The listicles of Buddhism, as we spoke about last week. Um, So very briefly, the Eightfold Noble Path consists of right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Uh, And the idea behind all of this is that these... Um, these are deliberately in order uh, and they are deliberately kind of in the order they are. And the idea is that these are essentially the steps through which you can go through to attain enlightenment, to, to end suffering. And I think uh, the way that uh, Susan Piver deals with these in this article is it's talking about how these apply to relationships and, and, how you can kind of take these, these various steps along the path and, and how you think about them in relationships. Now, the article goes through a bunch of that, but I feel like just reading the article may may not be the best, uh, not be the most interesting way we can use our time. So I, I'm interested for you and I, Jacob, to go through the right, the eightfold path and think about how we would think or imply uh, apply those to relationships. How does that sound?
1: Yeah, that sounds alright. I, I just, I mean, can I question the? premise off oh, the class. Please, please. Um I, I have no particular attachment to the Eightfold Path, so that, that's helpful. But um like in apply so so the Eightfold Path is valuable because it gets us to enlightenment, right? Like that's, a, that's the that's the point of it. If you if you follow the Eightfold Path you'll get enlightened if you if you do every step well in everything.
0: Uh, i it, it not it's not like a one for one. It's not like if you tick off all the boxes you'll get there necessarily, but it's that it's a prerequisite. Okay, so so you, you 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 need to do everything on the eightfold path in order to get enlightened. You probably also need to do other things as well, um, but it's it's certainly it's very supportive of the process to become
1: enlightened. well. And so, just the 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 premise then of. Well, if you're going to be a monk and you're going to you know, follow the way properly to get enlightened you're not going to have relationships because of the attachment like you're going to step back from your family and from your whatever else Yes. so, so like isn't there a
0: problem just with applying this to relationships in the first place well, not necessarily because the Eightfold Path is not something that is only applied to monks. So in Buddhism, the Eightfold Path is something everyone can do. So you know, I would argue that I make an attempt to follow the Eightfold Noble Path in my daily life, even though I'm not a monk. So it, it's one of the, it's one of those things where yeah. You know, so um, if, we're, if we're going on the on the listicles element of it, if you become a monastic, there are 217 rules you have to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, Puts if, Jordan Peterson to shame. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, 217 rules for life. Um, But if you're a lay person, there are realistically only five rules you have to follow, which are the 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 five precepts, Uh, and then you know these are kind of also optional additions, and like you know you can follow the four. So you can do
1: as much or as little as you like, and it's helpful to do more, but you don't.
0: Yeah, correct. Yeah, so so the eightfold noble path and the four noble truths are definitely teachings that are encouraged for lay people to engage with, even if they're not monastic. So it's no, it's not exclusively a monastic thing.
1: Cool. It's just, and and that's just. I mean, for the listeners' benefit, as much as anything else, this is me trying to wrap my head around applying non-attachment principles to relationships, which you. Can't have because you're inherently going to get attached to them if you want to get enlightened. Anyway, it, it's just messing with you. That's, <laughs> that's all.
0: Well, well I, and again, and, and I think maybe what we're what we're hitting on here is your love for um for binaries and 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 true false statements, right?
1: Well, and, um, and this is something we discussed like briefly off air after the, the last episode, right? Which is that um in 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 Christian thought, like we're we're created with desires and we're created with desires for good things and and that those desires can be good they become bad when they get out of proportion to the things that we're desiring and, and that kind of thing but but desire in itself is not a bad thing in a christian framework and it just it seems to me that within a buddhist framework the the desire itself is inherently bad it's just up to you how much you want to actually do about that desire
0: yeah, and 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 again, I, th- I think as you mentioned, this is maybe be this is maybe one of the few actual fundamental differences between Christianity and Buddhism that we that we have here, right? Um, so yes, certainly in
1: terms of yeah, I mean there's, there's the whole Jesus yeah thing, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, Jesus was a Buddha people, <laughs> um, it, um, but um, but I think we, but I think even that gets to this dichotomy point, right? It, it gets to this point that it, it's either or, right? That um. And I think your point previously that, you know, well, you either, you know, you either want to not have attachments. So, you know, if you want to not have attachments, then therefore you must want to also not have relationships and all those things. I I, I think Buddhism has a But but doesn't
1: one logically follow from the other? (sighs)
0: yes and right like so, like so like 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 yes if you want to get rid of all attachments then that would include your attachments to relationships absolutely but i think buddhism has a layer of nuance that allows it to say it's totally reasonable and totally fine and honestly you can live a great life if you don't want to achieve that goal yeah because
1: right? buddhism doesn't actually care if you want to get enlightened or not like it's right. got good tips to get enlightened but it doesn't fundamentally care whether you whether you do them or not
0: yeah and i think maybe this is that difference between my understanding christianity where your god wants you to to live in line with god's
1: like god wants you to know god yes right like that that is the the best good that there is right like that's
0: yeah yeah and and like the but uh, i think the only reason buddhism wants you to become enlightened is because it thinks you'll have a better time if you do so you know like yeah there's there's no inherent way of the world in which it is better for all beings to be enlightened other than, man, it kind of sucks for all beings to suffer all the time.
1: Yeah, which comes back to, we discussed, I think, a few episodes ago that, like, um, enlightenment, like, it's not heaven. It's just yeah. nothingness. Like, there's there's nothing particularly pleasurable about Nirvana. It's just not unpleasurable.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um so anyway, sorry. Now that I've <laughs>
1: attacked the premise, we, we can continue
0: with, with the flag <laughs> firmly planted on the hill. Uh, we can continue. Um, all right. So, so the, the, the first. So, we'll, all right. We'll, we'll we'll break them into the categories. Right. So there are there are generally three categories um, of uh, yeah. The 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 eightfold path is kind of grouped into three categories. The first category is the kind of the wisdom category, which is right view and right intention. Mm-hmm. So. I guess when you think about Christianity, you think about Christian views of relationships. I mean, what what springs to mind with right view and right intention?
1: Well, I'm, I'm going to actually riff off the article a little oh, bit please. for right view because there's something that um, she says here. What's her, the name? Susan. Um, which I find kind of really helpful. Um, so she talks about um, the the narratives that we compose in our life and that being like a, we've got a projector projecting out on our, on our forehead. And so everywhere that we're looking, we're projecting the movie of our life onto the people and the things around you. And, and so she says, okay, you, you're cute, so, so you're going to be my love interest, or I don't care about you, you're not interesting, you're an extra, you're Like we're, we're kind of categorizing people uh, in terms of what we think about them, the impression they make, how they make us feel and, and so on. Uh, and she says, relatively speaking, right view is maintaining awareness of the movie and not mistaking the human being in front of you for what you've projected onto him or her. Um, for the, from an absolute perspective, right viewers snapping the projector off, um, and and I, th- th- from a Christian perspective, I, I really like that as a concept because well, the, the world is not all about me, mm. as it turns out, um, and other people have their own agency and their own interests and their. Own, I mean, this is part of the um, the husbands and wives thing that you know, one person can't fulfil all of your needs or desires because they've got needs and desires of their own and and actually in my experience part of what marriage is 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 learning to live with those together um yeah and, and and so seeing the other person as themselves and not just how they sit in relationship to me like because all of us sit in relationship to God and and to the rest of the world right like I'm I'm not God so. The way that other people matter to me is nowhere near as important as how they relate to God, right? Like
0: well, and that also sounds like that ties in with what I would assume to be the Christian concept of right intention too, which is approaching your relationships with that knowledge. Right? Yeah. That yeah, you know, that that approaching a relationship saying, Well, this isn't just about what I need and what I can get out of it, but also understanding that the other person has needs, but also understanding that the relationship needs to fit in with my relationship with God and, vi- and vice versa that it needs to fit in with my partner's relationship with God as well
1: Well, and and, uh, and like this is literally part of what the, the Imago Day doctrine is right like we've spoken about a few times on the podcast that, that people are made in the image of God um, and, and created and loved by God loved to death by God as it happens um, and so that means that other people are inherently valuable just in and of themselves and as Created beings that bear the finger marks of their creator and the world is valuable in a similar way as well, that I, I don't relate to it just as to what I can get out of it, um, but as something brilliantly created by God. Hmm. Yeah,
0: and, and that makes sense. And I think that's very similar to the Buddhist view of this, right, where it's, yeah, it's seeing people for what they are and not what your own perception is of them. But then also you know, walking into anything with the intention of that right view, going out into the world yeah. and saying, I am going to engage with the world as it is, and I'm going to meet it on its level. I'm going to meet people on their level. That that's really important uh, um, for how to have successful relationships.
1: I'm, I'm curious as to how Buddhism comes at this. And, and maybe this is just me being dualistic again, binary and whatever. Because within a, a Christian framework, and, and I dare say some other religious traditions as well, like that, that value is objective and, and intrinsic. And I can say that you, Jamal, are valuable because you are made and loved by God, right? Uh, whereas Buddhism, it, it strikes me that right view and right intention doesn't come because the other is valuable in and of themselves, but because it's better for me to, like there's a benefit for me to see them that way. And I mean, maybe by extension that they're connected to me in some way. We spoke about that like forever ago on the podcast, but is that an
0: unfair characterization? Maybe. Um, I, I mean, I think there are two Buddhist answers to that. The first one is I think you can replace your term God for nature and kind of run the same argument. So to say that, you know, that nature is a certain way, that the world is as it is, Mm -hmm. and it's inherently then just valuable as it is. Why? Because, I guess it's because this idea that, like, that it is hubristic or it's kind of, it's problematic to try and apply my conception of the world on top of the world, that the world is just inherently as it is, and, you know... The best thing to do is to see the world for what it is. So when I meet you, you are part of nature, part of the world, part of the 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 way things just naturally function, and therefore I need to. It's best to meet you at that point for where you are, rather than from my intention of what I want you to be.
1: But is that best because it's best for me or best for you? Like, Um, is is it is it just kind of more helpful to relate to the world as though it was you know, functionally good and just accept that well things are as they are well this is maybe where we
0: get to the second kind of interpretation of that which is best is relative you know that the no, nothing is inherently valuable right that that you know um, which might have been what you're fishing for there but it's you know that in buddhism that like yeah there is no that what we consider value is just constructed so you know it's it's not constructed even constructed by God. Sorry, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but like it's not even just this like sense of, you know, I, you know, I do it because it's better for me. It's that that even the fact that I think it's better for me is constructed. That all value, all good and bad, which I, you know, to me this is the more convincing argument, which is that yeah, all good and bad is constructed. And so, realistically, it is just as it is. So nothing is inherently more valuable or less valuable than anything else. It just is as it is.
1: And, and it's unhelpful for me to think it's more valuable, or that, like yes. unvaluable for me to think, unhelpful for me to think that I am more valuable, and my perspective is more valuable.
0: Yes, but equally unhelpful for you to think that the other is more valuable, right? Like yeah, you know, it's 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 equally as unhelpful. You thinking anything is more valuable than another is unhelpful.
1: That is just that's really interesting because that goes to the heart in some ways of, in, in some ways, but not in others of the, the Christian conception of love, right? Like that, that you are to show greater honor to those who aren't you, mm. um, and, and love others actually kind of more than you love yourself in a way. So here's an
0: interesting one. Yeah. So, um, so I have heard some. I have heard a Buddhist monk talk about the Christian concept of love like that, and and he went on this discussion about love others as you would love yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think was the direct words of God there or no, Jesus. That's
1: a, a direct word of, of Jesus. Yeah. So, well, that's the golden rule, right? Do unto others yeah. as as you would have them do unto you. Right? Yes,
0: and and I guess their point there was absolutely you need to treat others in the same way you would treat yourself, but it's love others. As you would love yourself, which also implies you need to love yourself as you would love others. So I'll, I'll see
1: that and raise it with words of Jesus, right? Like, sure. um, because Jesus says to his disciples in John's Gospel, "I give you a new commandment, right?" Like, so that's the, the, the original commandments in the in the Old Testament, um, but Jesus says to them, "Love one another." As I have loved you, and the the love that Jesus has for them and for us, as it happens, is that He lays down His life
0: sure.
1: um, for them. So the the Apostle Paul can riff on this and say, well, you know, very rarely will someone give their life for someone else, although maybe if they were especially mm. valuable, they would. But while we were enemies of God, um, Christ died for us. Is is where He lands on that, and so, and like I, I would say, that's actually that that's Maybe it's not loving someone more than you love yourself, or you, like exactly what self-love is. We could get into that. But it's definitely putting other people's needs and other people's desires and other people's honor above your own.
0: Yeah, and I reckon, I reckon Buddhism would disagree with that. Okay. So so I think Buddhism is Buddhism is absolutely focused on not loving yourself more than others but it's also focused quite heavily on the fact that you need to love yourself um and you know it, even if it's just out of practicality that you're going to be a better person if you love yourself and you know you you don't you know, and, yeah, and, and martyrdom is not a thing in Buddhism.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah, well, and, and <laughs> it's, it's true, and and well, I assume it's true. And
0: think that, that like, and, and Christianity
1: would like would, I, I would take that a step further, right? And say that the 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 reason that I'm able to love others more than I, is because I am loved myself, and so I don't I don't need to I don't actually need to love myself in a way. I just I need to see myself as God sees me. Mm. Uh, because, like, God actually, God loves me more than I could love myself.
0: And, and and that might be the key point, right? If Buddhism doesn't have God there to love you, then you have to love yourself, right? So, like, yeah, yeah in, in Buddhism we don't have God sitting there going, well, I love you, therefore that that's kind of all the love you need. Mm. And therefore you can focus all your love externally, mm. right? That, that, the, the, the. God's not there, so therefore that the, the love you're focusing externally also needs to be focused internally. And in mm. it's important distinction, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the next three um, bits of the Eightfold Path are what they refer to as the ethical conduct. So that's right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Um, initial thoughts? Well,
1: I mean, right speech and right action... That, like I, I, don't know. you I, am struggling with the initial thoughts, and I've, I've not skimmed this a little bit here. But like, it, it, you can put right in front of anything, and we'll, well yeah, <laughs> right speech. That's a good idea. Speak well. Like, like I, I'm, I'm assuming that it's, um, speech and action that is shaped by the right view and the right intentions. Yes. Right. Like, um, so in, with a, with a Christian lens on, like seeing other people. The way that God sees them, and seeing yourself the way that that God sees you, it, you're going to speak lovingly and honourably towards them, and uh, you could take the golden rule here, and say yeah. you, you're not going to treat other people how you wouldn't want to be treated with your actions. And.
0: Absolutely, and I think that, you know these these three. Yeah, this goes to why the eightfold path is in the order it is, right? So yeah, it's this idea that you need to develop a level of wisdom and develop a level of intention. Uh, and then from that position of wisdom and intention then you know you can you know that is the basis for your ethical conduct right so so the, yeah wanting to align if, if you
1: don't see the world well you can't act well in the world
0: yes correct yep. right yeah so yes yeah, speech and action are kind of self explanatory right livelihood i find interesting in buddhism which talks kind of about so so in the traditional so it says right household yes yeah. so in, yeah. the, in the traditional eightfold noble path right livelihood is essentially you know right occupation so it's you know don't don't be a don't be a butcher like don't be don't be someone that kills things don't be someone that um you know uh does you know harm you know, don't, don't be don't be someone that that harms people through their work so you know don't be a loan shark don't be uh you know, don't don't run a gambling establishment like those kinds of things don't be a
1: policeman or police officer
0: it, it depends on I guess what your conception of harm is. Whether you know this goes back to many many conversations of the role of the state, Um, but you know, um, and there
1: were there were Christians in the seventeenth century and still now that were like, well, we're not going to be judges or on juries or whatever because then we'd have to convict people, and we're not going to convict people, yeah,
0: yeah. So I mean, again, that's like everything in Buddhism it's kind of up for interpretation. I'd say the police officer is grey area, but yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, But yes, in in the conceptions of the eightfold noble path of love. Right livelihood talks about right household, so it's it's about how do you live in relationship with each other. How do you how do you keep your house in a way that uh, is conducive to positive? So is
1: it just kind of like applying right action at a social level?
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. like of applying it to, uh, you know, initially vocation, but also to relationships. So yeah, it's taking right action. It's taking the the ethics, and it essentially it's just it's trying to say. Apply your ethics beyond what you think you should normally apply your ethics to. You yeah, most people think it's like, oh, well, I shouldn't I just you know shouldn't go around killing things. So it's like, well, no. But if you are a fisherman, uh, don't you kill things all the time? Isn't that something that you should maybe you know think about? And
1: yeah, and and I'm just reminded of something Martin Luther said about this because he, he he talked a lot actually about like vocation and work and, and this kind of thing. Uh, and one of the things he says is that a, a Christian cobbler, a shoemaker, um, doesn't make Christian shoes by putting little crosses on them. Like the the Christian shoemaker does their job well by making good shoes, yeah. right? Like by by doing the thing well, and and that strikes me as an aspect of right livelihood, right? Like just doing the thing that you are doing well in a way
0: that's going to benefit others. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then the final. The final three are are what they call the kind of absorption samadhi. Um, I guess we could refer to these also as like meditation practice ones, uh, which is right effort, right mindfulness, and right absorption. Um, These are probably the most esoteric of them, um, and we probably don't have time to do a deep dive into what all of these mean. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, I, I guess so. Maybe the maybe the interesting one that I think we we, we want to I want to talk about here is the right mindfulness. Like right effort mm-hmm. is kind of self explanatory, right? It's yeah, like, you, you, know,
1: you just keep doing the
0: speech action and yeah, a, a, right, and, yeah, and yeah. point it towards the right things. Yeah. 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 Whereas yet yeah, mindfulness is this idea that it's like awareness of the world as it is and awareness of things as they are. And, uh, and I guess in this context, it's awareness of your partner and awareness of the relationship. So how is that different to right view? So, right view, I think talks about, you know, I think there's a the difference between being seeing and being aware, right? So you know I can I can see I, I, I can see a cloud in the sky and I can go, yeah, cool, there's a cloud in the sky. I can be aware of the cloud in the sky and, I not only see the cloud but I'm aware that it's probably going to mean that there's rain and it's probably going to mean that I'm going to have to do some different things today and that there's a there's a way it's not just seeing something but also understanding the context and the implications and and the kind of the the broader picture behind it mm-hmm. if you know what I mean
1: So so in the case of your example it's kind of seeing causation but mm-hmm. we could also extend that to seeing like social relationships and, Yeah
0: yeah 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 Um, and yeah, and I I guess just being aware of, so, you know, um, Susan talks about in the article, like just different, being aware of what your partner may be experiencing. So it's like, you know, you walk, you walk into your house and you can sense that your partner's in a bad mood. So then it's okay. Well, you should maybe adjust how you behave or maybe, you know, adjust how you engage with the relationship if you're sensing that your partner's in a bad mood and that kind of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. So it's, it's being sensitive to the other.
0: Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and just to very quickly touch on the absorption thing it's again absorption is kind of this like final best state to be in where you're kind of you're bringing together mindfulness and awareness and just all of the things together and it's just kind of holding you in this place of uh, being able to enact all of the other the other seven qualities all at the same time Um, you know and it's not to be you know I, I guess in meditation we talk about absorption as like getting to a point where you where you're really in it, where you're really deep and absorbed in the meditation. I guess on a practical point, this is that yeah, where you are so embedded in the teachings that you are that you know, you're carrying it with you at all times.
1: So what does that feel like? Have you have you experienced that?
0: Yeah, at, at various points. Um, what does it feel like? It. I, I think so. I think there's probably two versions of absorption that I think feel different and probably worth touching on. So one is the absorption of being in meditation. So when you are sitting in meditation, you are actively meditating. And, you know, you can hit a point where you just clicks and you're deeply absorbed. And you just notice everything you're trying to watch. So you're often trying to watch your breath or watch that kind of thing. And you can really just, you know, it just, it's easy. It's there. You are... You, know, you don't have to try. Your mind doesn't wander mm-hmm. very, nat- you know, your mind doesn't wander naturally. You're just... You're
1: focused on the things you want to be focused
0: on. Yeah, there's a word in Buddhism we call one-pointedness of the mind where it's like you, you just get that singular focus view. So there's that level of absorption. Uh, and then there's also, I guess, a level of absorption which if you get really deep, you can take beyond the meditation. So I've had moments in my life where I've come out of a meditation and been so absorbed that I, you know... You wander around and you're seeing things as if you were in a meditation. So I remember one time I I came out of a really deep meditation and I walked outside and I looked at these flowers, and there was there was a yellow dandelions, and they were so much more yellow than I had ever seen them. Yeah, like I was just taken aback by how rich the color yellow was on those flowers, and I would I'd never observed the depths of that yellow or you know you ha- you you you're eating a meal and you're just noticing every single bit as you do it and it's not you know you're not getting distracted by anything and like that can kind of carry and that's kind of that kind of you know if you if you can do that forever to the nth degree that's that that's kind of living in enlightenment states and whatever else right but um why would you want to go to nirvana after that oh because you you know the only option at that point is to go to Nirvana or or come back again and you know, would, not have Why that. wouldn't
1: you? Why wouldn't you stay in that kind
0: of fair? Like that. That's kind of so. In so Christian thinking, that's, yeah. that's that's kind of what the new creation is, right? Well, like so. So there are people that do right. Like so. So it's interesting. There's um. I, I think so. In Buddhism, you kind of go through these stages of meditation, and there are a lot. So there's a stage that is associated with bliss and associated no. with like you know not just th- that absorption, but that a joyful, blissful feeling, and it's. There are stories of monks that just get stuck, that they just go there and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to hang out here my whole time. This is great. Um, Sounds better than Nirvana to me, genuinely." Like, but but I think the point is that you know, until you become enlightened, they're always transitory. Those states will always leave, and you know, so it's like it's it's the awareness that like that even if you achieve those states, that like they're not going to last forever. That you will die you will you know even if the only time they end is in death it's like you know that that you understand so and again this goes to non-attachment even if you get to those blissful states you're not attached to that bliss you're not attached to that feeling of what it's like to be that absorbed in things right yeah
1: yeah no it's it's just it's interesting because i've I've had experiences where like I'm, i'm not a big meditator or anything like that but i'd say that there are times when i'm particularly just just particularly aware of God's love, like yeah. more than usual, um, and maybe very occasionally it's meant that I've seen the colours brighter or the, the whatever. But but actually, what it's what it's meant for me more is that I do I do the things that value and care for the people around me almost without thinking about it. Mm. Um, like I just I, I somehow have. More patience, or more time, or am I, I'm more attentive to the emotions of the people around me. Like sometimes you want to do that, and it just it takes a lot of effort, and you have to gee yourself up and be. Mm-hmm. And, and but what I am talking about is is when I am kind of particularly aware of how God sees me, and so then seeing the world through that lens as well. Then I just kind of love other people without trying to love other people, mm-hmm. if I can put it that way
0: yeah no, no yeah. And that makes sense and yeah i i will say you know it's not like all buddhists walk around in that state at all points like that's particularly hard to do I'm um, i have only yeah, em- I'm, I'm getting that vibe yeah, yeah I, i've only ever gotten there uh in in i've only ever gotten there whilst i've been on very very long meditation retreats yeah okay like you know five days, 10 day retreats where, you know, you get past four days of not speaking to anyone and only meditating and you get a breakthrough like that. Um, so yeah, it's certainly not something that um, I've found very particularly easy to achieve on a day-to-day level. And actually, if anything, I think um, it's been honestly one of the barriers for me in meditating. You know, I, I, I don't meditate uh, as frequently as I, as I think I, you know, I think I would gain benefit from meditating more frequently. Um, And one of the barriers to that is that day-to-day meditation whilst I'm in the world is often just an exercise in, like, just emptying the trash can. It's just, you know, uh, pour out all the stuff from the day and whatever else. And, like, it's very useful, but it doesn't have the connection to any of these really quite absorbed states that are really what i think i feel like i gain the most benefit from
1: so that's really interesting because i would say that my devotional practice mm-hmm. right like of um you yeah, know reading the bible praying whatever is is sometimes like that like just a thing that i do that, that it's good and helpful but it's not and, but those those times where i i have that particular sense of god's presence and god's love and whatever like aren't they're not something that I need to get to mm. somehow. In fact, almost, or well not, not completely, but you know, often um, it comes from conversations or prayers with other people, actually, mm. or or just from things that I wasn't even expecting. Like I, I remember <laughs> once listening to a, a song, um, a, a, a Christian song, that I've listened to hundreds of times but just this particular moment i it it just sparked something for me and it's like oh yeah yeah that's right like and it just it it felt wonderful but i I didn't have to i like i couldn't have i couldn't have um attained that state if you like by trying to even if i'd wanted to it just had to happen and sort of burst in on me from outside And, and i mean that particular moment it was like oh man for the last like Three, four, five, six months or so. Like it's like I've known God and I've been reading the Bible and whatever, but I've not been aware of love and grace. And I've been thinking, here's all this stuff I have to do, and I only realised that i have been thinking that at the moment where I stopped thinking that, which had to break in from outside of me. I, I didn't didn't get there myself.
0: That's a very Zen attitude. So um, there's a famous Zen saying that, um, you know, uh, enlightenment is an accident, and meditation makes us accident prone. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, there's this concept that like yeah, you can you know, there's these just accidental things that happen that just spark moments of enlightenment, and yeah, it's, it's why Zen. Uh, one of the Zen practices around koans, where you're sitting with a question, right? That mm-hmm. you know the question is not designed to. I
1: saw koans um, referenced in a sermon. Oh, nice. I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah, like the, the the koan question is not designed to bring you to some enlightenment through academic pursuits. It's designed to essentially prime your mind to just suddenly snap and have a momentary, like once you get the answer, it's like, oh, suddenly there. And then that gives you this momentary kind of uh, connection and absorption and all of that.
1: That's, that's interesting because from a Christian perspective, like I, I would say that actually, like in terms of having that experience of the fullness of reality, I'll put it that way, like I would say that the universe is on my side in wanting that, right? Because because God wants me to know God, and and so it's like a. I'm, I'm fighting against my. Well, this is this is probably why, in in my experience anyway, that comes from outside because it's not something that I can like the, the God is actually on my side in wanting that for me. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, we're, we're so badly off topic. <laughs> that, that, that's
0: okay. And you know what? I, th- I think it's um, it reminds me of this time a Christian and a Buddhist. Were they off topic? They, they were off topic and they were so off topic they walked into a bar. Um, and um, and uh, you, you're going to love this one, Jacob. This is another Nasruddin joke. Um, and <laughs> I, I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah. And so the Christian and the Buddhist walk into a bar and you know, this bar just happens to have a huge river. In, in, in the middle of it, like it's a real fancy bar. Yeah, you know, huge river running through the middle sure. of it. Um And um, and you know they, they they walk into a bar and uh, they see their old mate Nezruddin, who's, who's across the other side of the river. Uh, and yeah, this is
1: the Sufi bloke, right? The, 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 yeah, just, just hanging
0: ne, out. Nezrudin, the Sufi poet, he's just hanging out in the bar on the other side of the river. Uh, and the Christian, the Buddhist walk in and they go, oh hey hey Nezrudin, how can we get across the river? Like what, what do we do? And Nesrudin just looks at them and goes. You are already across the river. <laughs> that's better than
1: the last one. Yeah, that, okay. that was yeah, yeah. better than I was led to expect.
0: Yeah, yeah. okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Nazarudin Nice.
1: I like it. <laughs> um, do you have anything else for us today, Jacob? I No, I reckon that's it. Uh, nothing on topic anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, <that's> nothing <laughs> on topic.
0: Well, uh, hey, we have been told people love our off-topic rambling, so, you know, there we go.
1: <laughs> we do indeed. Thank you for listening. We've been Jamal and Jacob. You can get in touch with us at Christian Buddhist bar at gmail.com
0: and our music is by Kevin MacLeod thank you
1: Kevin thanks Kev thank you for listening and we'll see you next week
0: bye